You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Well, Jesus went to uh, many places and to many different people as he was in this life on this earth. And today we're looking at how he went to outsiders. Jesus uh, seemed to have a real heart for outsiders. We think about all the different outsiders that he reached out to in the gospel stories that you may know. He reached out to women. Women were not people of particular status. And so um, there were many, many occasions where Jesus had a lot of different relationships in reaching out to people who were on the fringes, women. He reached out to people who were suffering from leprosy, people who were definitely outcasts, people who were the untouchables. Jesus saw people that were invisible. He, he saw children. He had time for children. Jesus seemed to have a way of reaching out to people who had messed up in life, people who were down and out. So Jesus has this ability to connect with all kinds of outsiders. And I think maybe one of the reasons he was able to do so was that he was an outsider too. Think about it. Jesus was outside the religious establishment. He wasn't born in Jerusalem. He was born in Nazareth. And so Jesus was not a part of any circles of great influence or power or wealth. Jesus came to this earth as an outsider. And he seemed to have a real heart for those who were on the outside. You ever been an outsider? You ever been like you just felt like you didn't fit in? Um... I remember in high school, I, I just didn't feel like I fit in. I think that's one of the toughest times in life to go through. Or uh, maybe it's college. Maybe you don't feel like you fit into the crowd. Uh, in my 20s, I, I enjoyed seminary. But as a, a country preacher, single, uh, and I, my friends and were getting on with their life, they were getting married, they were having children, and I just, I just felt a little bit left behind. Uh, sometimes you feel as an outsider kind of lonely. The first 20 years of my ministry, I moved five times, and every time you move to a new church community, it takes a while let alone a new town or a new city that you're not used to. Uh, Those of us who haven't moved for a while or gone somewhere new or different, when when we've been on the inside, we don't always appreciate so much what it's like to be on the outside. Jesus, He had a heart outsiders. And today we're going to go and see this story where Jesus reaches out to a consummate outsider. 
Someone who isn't down and out, but someone that is up and out. We're going to look at the story of Jesus reaching out to a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Now, tax collectors, remember, were despised in that culture even more than we despise them in ours. Because tax collectors were Jewish people who were collecting taxes and fees and tolls and all kinds of money on their fellow citizenry on behalf of the Roman Empire. And it was known as a corrupt system. I mean, people that were engaged in that, spiritual entrepreneurs, no. Business entrepreneurs, yes. They were very much engaged and they were known to profit largely by this enterprise at the expense of maybe charging a little bit of extra or maybe a whole lot extra. And Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector, he was a rich tax collector. And he wasn't only a rich tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. And Zacchaeus, in this story, is in Jericho. And he hears this rumor that this Jesus that he's heard about is coming to town. And what he's heard about this Jesus is that he eats and he drinks with sinners and tax collectors. Tax collectors. The rumor mill has it that he has even gone and asked Matthew, otherwise known as Levi, who Zacchaeus probably knows because, well, who do tax collectors hang out with? They hang out with tax collectors. He's asked Levi, Matthew, to be one of his primary followers. And what's more... Zacchaeus has heard that after Matthew started following Jesus, he even threw a party at his house. And he invited Jesus to come to his house. And who did Matthew invite to come and eat with him and Jesus in his house? Tax collectors! Zacchaeus is a despised tax collector. He's on the outside religiously. He's on the outside socially. You got it? Zacchaeus is an outsider. Now, let's begin to read the gospel story with that understanding. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. See, I told you the truth. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. 
two things about these verses. One is the crowd. The other is what Zacchaeus does because of the crowd. Now, the crowd is in the way. Oftentimes in the gospel, have you noticed this? That the crowd oftentimes gets in the way. People are trying to get to Jesus. They're seeking Jesus. But they can't get to him because of the crowd. One time there was a person that was paralyzed. And there were people that were carrying the paralyzed person to Jesus. Uh, to Jesus. But Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of people in a house. And so what do they do? They tear the roof off. And they, they tear the roof off to get this man to Jesus. You know, Jesus seemed to kind of like that. He kind of likes it when people go to extreme measures. Jesus, in fact, said to the crowd one time, he said, you know, you all crowd around me, but you're not interested in coming into my kingdom. You're not really interested in me. You're not interested in coming into my way of life, into my life, and my forgiveness, and my love. And what's more, you block other people in the doorway so they can't get in either. I mean, sometimes the crowd gets in the way. Sometimes we insiders who aren't necessarily following Jesus, or maybe we are, aren't exactly loving Jesus. Or maybe we are. Aren't exactly worshiping Jesus. Or maybe we are. Aren't exactly serving Jesus. Or maybe we are. Sometimes we can get in the way of somebody else that wants to get to him. And sometimes we can feel a sense of possessiveness about all this. My wife Susan was at a fitness center. And she was, after her swim, she was showering. And as she was showering, the curtain rock just flew, uh, flung open, and there was a woman standing there, and she said, you are showering in my favorite shower. <laughs> and then she turned to her friends and said, just like I have favorite showers, I have favorite pew in the church. Do you know what you call someone like that in the church? <laughs> they are called VIPs. Very important pillars. But the only problem with pillars in the church is you can't always see around them. Whereas Jesus wants people around him, but he wants us not to be pillars, but he wants us to be saints. And saints are people you can see the light shine through. Are you a pillar of the church or are you a saint? Well, Zacchaeus is not going to let the crowd deny him. Zacchaeus does something, two things actually, incredibly outrageous. Zacchaeus runs. Grown men don't run in the culture of his day. But he does something even more ridiculous, even in our culture. He climbs a tree. 
When was the last time you saw a man up in a tree? It just doesn't happen. When was the last time you would do something as ridiculous as climb a tree because you were desperate enough or curious enough to see Jesus? Let's read on in the story. When Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. What I love about Jesus is that he is not intimidated by the religious crowd. He's not intimidated by people who don't want him to reach out to the outsider. And sometimes, friends, I regret personally myself as an insider when I have not been as compassionate or thoughtful or caring to the outsider. I remember one time as a young pastor, um, uh, the custodian came to find me. It was an early Sunday morning. He came to my office and said, uh, uh, Bob, we, we got a problem. And we walked, walked around the building and there was a man that was drunk as a skunk laying literally in the doorway of the church. And so I could call these people by name, the custodian's name, the woman that was there early. The three of us helped get that man up on his feet and on his way. And ever since then, I have thought, couldn't I have at least offered him a cup of coffee. But I was too worried about getting him off the premises before the church people arrived. Another time, I was a young pastor in a different church, and there was a matriarch in the church came into the office, and she said, there are kids out there on our church lot skateboarding you need to tell them to leave well there were a lot of stairs on the church lot and it was dangerous and they shouldn't have been doing that but it was clear to me that she wasn't going to leave until I told them to leave. And so I walked out there, and I, didn't, I wasn't harsh with them, but I've always regretted that in that moment, that time, why couldn't I have offered to maybe something else 
for them as an option. Sometimes we insiders miss opportunities to reach out to somebody that's on the outside, whether they're seeking him or not. And friends, the human condition is like this. The human condition is that we draw circles to keep people out. And there are times when we do things that are rather blatantly mischievous in our culture. And we see this. Marines or soldiers posting nude photographs of fellow soldiers and Marines. Or people in conservative circles using racial slurs against others. Or progressives, elite progressive people who find it quite fine to degrade rule people as rednecks and can say anything about Christians. I mean, there are examples all across the spectrum. No group has a corner on this. But Jesus, Jesus does something here. Jesus reaches out to one man up in a tree, outsider, despised by the inside group, and says, I'm going to go to your house. And Zacchaeus knows that this means acceptance. He knows this means forgiveness. He knows that this means that this guy, Jesus, sees him as a person who wants him in his life. And i got to believe, friends, that that's exactly how the followers of Jesus do it. Today, I mean the genuine followers of Jesus. And the, how, what is Zacchaeus' response to all this? To the grumbling crowd, to those who are critical of him and critical of Jesus. But Zacchaeus stood up. I like that. He stood up and he said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount, twice as much as the law required. What happens? Well, Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What happens in this story? What happens in this story is that Zacchaeus' heart is changed. I mean, like that in a minute. Now, Jesus had been working on him. I think God had been drawing him. How else would he go up on a tree anyway? I mean, God had been working on his heart for some time. Zacchaeus was wealthy. He was up, but he was out. 
we don't know whether he had a family or not. He must have felt incredibly lonely. He must have felt guilty about who he was or what he had done. But when Jesus accepts him freely, no strings attached, I want to go to your house, that's grace. That's grace. That's the grace of God. That grace changes Zacchaeus. It changes his heart in a minute. And half of what he has, he's going to give away. Not because he has to, because he wants to. And he doesn't admit extortion. He just says, if I've extorted anyone, let them step forward. I'll make it good four times the amount. And Jesus uses that insider word, salvation. We use that word. We insiders use that word in the church, salvation. But what does it really mean anyway? Is salvation a ticket to heaven? Is it just a transaction? Is it just a one-time experience? You know what salvation means, really, in the Bible? It means deliverance. To be saved means that we are delivered out of something and into something. And it's not that Zacchaeus and Jesus have struck a deal here where because you gave this money, you're now in the kingdom. It's not that at all. No, it's because Jesus sees that there's fruit in Zacchaeus' heart and mind and spirit. You know, to be saved isn't something just a ticket to heaven. It's transformation. It's a changed heart. It's a changed life. It's a, it's a different perspective. It's getting out of our minimalism and becoming large in heart and mind and spirit and loving and kind toward others. Even the people that mess up, even the people we don't like. Even the people that in our minds are not acceptable. Jesus loves people into change. He doesn't demand that we change and then he loves us. No, he loves us. And his love changes us. And that is salvation. Friend, are you saved? How saved are you? How saved do you want to be? Do you recognize that hymn we just sang earlier? Marching to Zion. It says that the, the fields toward Zion yields many fruits. I mean, I'm looking forward to Zion, but I'm enjoying the journey too. Are you saved? How saved are you? Do you want to be saved to the uttermost? How full of love, how perfect in love, how complete in love do you want to be? Salvation has come to this house. And Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. So, Diedrich Bonhoeffer put it this way about grace. I've always loved this quote. He's the martyr that died at the hands of the Nazis at the end of World War II. He says, cheap grace is the grace that we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipleship or dis discipline. It's communion without confession. It's cheap grace is the grace without discipleship, grace without the cross. 
Grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. So God's grace, let's get this straight, it's free, and yet it costs us everything. It costs Jesus everything. It'll change our life. And it's, it's worth it. <laughs> and, and so I have some questions I want to ask insiders this morning. When you came to worship this morning, did you want to see Jesus? Or did you just want to hang out with the crowd? Do others catch you grumbling about them as people grumbled about Jesus and Zacchaeus? Or do you practice the hospitality of Christ to others in this place and in your life and in your home? How are you helping someone else on the outside looking in to move them forward in ways that we take for granted? You know, the mentoring thing that we're doing, I think the mentoring ministry of Schweitzer is probably one of the most, the most significant thing we're doing because there's so much one-on-one -on -one relationships going on with people who are down and out, who, who did not have in life or who, because they've messed up, do not have the opportunity in life skills and relationships to make it in this world. And so mentoring is something that I want to encourage, especially many people in this room who you have so much experience, you have so much love, you have so much wisdom of the years to offer people. So if you are a mentor, come this afternoon or Saturday morning. If you want to learn more about mentoring, come this afternoon or Saturday evening, Saturday morning. Because it's one-on-one -on -one mentoring where it's faith and finances, or it's, it's faith and getting a job, or how to live out in a job, or it's faith and, and, and a food ministry, or it's faith and how to be in, in the neighboring. Uh, how, how do you coach people in life? How do you champion people? And we have scores of mentors, and we need scores more. Because it's the one-on-one -on -one relationship. It's the big brother. It's the big sister. It's the father I never had. It's the mother I never had. That'll change a life. One last question for insiders. If Jesus invited himself to your home, who else would you invite to come meet Jesus to? Do you just invite your friends into your life? Or is there an outsider? you need to reach out to. And then for outsiders, I have questions for outsiders too. How have we insiders become store blind? So is there some things here that we don't see about ourselves? Help us to see how we are blocking the way for you to come to Jesus. Next question. What measures are you taking as an outsider to get around the crowd? What are you doing? You willing to climb any tree? Another question. Have you become too comfortable being an outsider? Sometimes people just stay on the fringes because there's no responsibility in that. An outsider, sometimes I've got to be called in and I'm going to assume my discipleship and my Christian community. We have a membership class next Sunday. For anyone that's an outsider or someone on the fringes or someone that's been a part of the church for a long time and now they're really wanting to say, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in this church. Come join us next Sunday.
One final question. It's the same question for insiders and outsiders. If Jesus invited himself to your home, who else would you invite to meet Jesus? Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' table.